Things are not always as they seem. Sometimes what appears to be a great tragedy, actually a lot of good comes out of. What might seem to be a death knell to thwart God's purposes in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ actually advances those purposes. Jesus' departure is actually both necessary and advantageous. The death of Christ will actually advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what was imperative for the disciples to know and to understand. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16 as we look at the key verse, verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's to your advantage. If I don't go, the Helper, the Parakletos, the Holy Spirit, isn't going to come. But if I go away, then I'm going to send that that helper to you. The theme of this morning's message is that the Holy Spirit will help the disciples in being a witness to Jesus Christ by bringing conviction to the world. The Holy Spirit is referred to here as a helper. It's a Greek word, parakletos, which actually means one called alongside. A person to be with you. A helper. That help can come in the form of comfort. That help can come in the form of encouragement, empowerment, enablement. In the particular verses before us today, that help comes in particular in relationship to their being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the disciples are called to be witnesses. Look with me at John fifteen twenty-seven. John fifteen twenty-seven. You will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. That is the ultimate purpose and reason for the disciples having been with Jesus. They're going to be a witness of his death and his resurrection. A witness as to who he is. The Holy Spirit will be an incredible help to that great missionary endeavor. Look at John 15:26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, notice what it says. He will bear witness of me. So there are two witnesses, if you will. The disciples and the Holy Spirit. And the witness of the Holy Spirit is indispensable. Why is the witness of the Holy Spirit so indispensable? Notice John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The witness of the Holy Spirit is indispensable for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone is able to bring about the conviction of which this verse speaks. The disciples can bear witness, but they can't bring conviction. They can't actually reach into the hearts of men and affect them. 
They really can't change people's thinking. They can't move people from death to life. They can speak about what Christ has done, but they are limited in that capacity. But the Holy Spirit is able to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, what is meant by the word convict? Convict. The uh, NAS translates verse 8 as convict. The NIV as convict. The King James in verse 8 uses the word reprove. What is meant by convict? Well, it's a legal term. A legal term that we are well familiar with. It refers to passing the sentence. Being found guilty of a crime. Evidence is presented. Guilt has been established. A judgment rendered. The person is convicted. The person is guilty. The person is condemned. In this passage, the Holy Spirit brings that sentence of conviction, that sentence of condemnation, that sentence of God's disapproval with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is able, the Holy Spirit, through our conscience, to rightly judge ourselves. That we see ourselves as condemned, unacceptable before God, because of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let's look at this conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. First, the Holy Spirit will convict the world that has been guilty of sin and failing to believe in Jesus. Notice John 16, verse 8. John 16, 8. My Father is... Uh, verse 8. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Sin because they do not believe in me. In the scriptures, unbelief is a sin. A sin. Why? Why would unbelief be a sin? Answer, because there is no valid reason for a person failing to believe in Jesus. Unbelief is rejection of truth. It is not the inability to understand or ascertain truth. Unbelief is willful. Unbelief is not a matter of the intellect. It's a matter of the heart. It's not a failure to know. It's a failure to yield. A failure to love. A failure to appreciate all that God has done. Look with me at John 15:23, the verses that lead up to this. John 15:23. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me. And my Father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled which is written in the law. 
They hated me without a cause. You see, they hated Jesus. They rejected Jesus without a cause, without a valid reason. Without an acceptable explanation. They are guilty because there was no reason for them to hate Jesus. And then positively stated in verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But the point is Jesus did. Jesus did among them works that no one else had ever done. And as a result, they have sin. They have guilt for failing to trust in Jesus. Failing to believe in Jesus. The works that Jesus performed prove that he came from God. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. How did the works that Jesus did prove that he was from God? How did the works that Jesus do render mankind sinful for failing to believe in him? What is so persuasive about the works that Jesus did? Well, John 20 said, These things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you would have life through his name. So what did Jesus do? Well, first of all, The works are miraculous in nature. Listen to Mark chapter 6, verse 2. And when the Sabbath had come, he, that is Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Jesus did what no one else had ever done. He fed 5,000 people at a time from three loaves and two fishes. He raised a man from the dead who had been dead for three days. Should have stunk by that time. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the crippled. He did what no one else was able to do. Not only were the works miraculous in nature, but they were good in nature. They were good works. In John 10.32, Jesus asked this question of his opponents, his enemies. Jesus said to them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? For which of these are you finding fault? What work is it that is worthy of condemnation? You see, Jesus is all-powerful. And there is an adage that says, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Jesus had absolute power without any corruption. Jesus could do whatever he wanted and only used his powers for good. Jesus is the true superhero. All the others are mythological. And many of the superheroes use their powers for good and evil. Jesus is the true superhero. He had the true superpowers. And he used his powers only for good.
He never misused his power. He caused no harm. He took no life, even as he hung upon the cross and people were railing accusation against him. He did no harm. He took no life. He cast no spell. He did not do anything evil in the exercise of his powers. He was good in the use of those powers. His works were good in the sense that Jesus did not use his powers for self-aggrandizement or to be self-serving. Jesus did not use his powers to be self-serving. Early on in his public ministry, right from the get-go, Satan tempted him. He'd been in the wilderness for 40 days, hadn't eaten anything. Satan came to him and tempted him and said, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the, the mouth of God. He used his powers to feed the multitude, but he didn't use his powers even to feed himself. How can you find fault with that? How can you find fault with that? Jesus did not get rich through his earthly ministry. The scripture says, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't even provide for himself a dwelling. He owned no property. He didn't even own a a simple donkey. When it came time for him to enter Jerusalem, he had to enter Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He took no offerings at any of his speaking engagements. He healed. He asked nothing in return. How can you find fault with that? His works were good in the sense that they led people to God, not away from God. He honored and glorified the Father through the things that he did. Jesus said, for what good work do you condemn me? They couldn't. They couldn't. There was no reason. There is no good reason to fail to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is every bit good, sound reason to faith, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The scripture says that all you have to do is go and look at this world. Look up at the starry night. And there is enough evidence there to demonstrate that there is a God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament is showing forth this truth. There's no valid intellectual reason to fail to believe in God. To fail to believe in Jesus Christ. It's willful. And because of that, it is sinful. The only reason people don't come to Christ is, according to John chapter 3, because their deeds are evil. They don't want to expose them. They don't want to admit them. They want to acknowledge them. And so they hide behind, many times, intellectual unbelief. When the reality is it's sinful, willful unbelief. Which brings us to the next point. And that is the Holy Spirit will convict the world that Jesus is righteous and they are not. John chapter 16. 
Verse 10. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. Jesus was righteous. The righteousness of Jesus is seen in the Scriptures. The Scriptures teach us that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seek after God, except for the Lord Jesus, who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. But outside of the Scriptures, mankind recognized that there was no unrighteousness in Jesus. Jesus was proven to be righteous in a court of law. Just before Jesus died, he's going to be sentenced to death. He's going to be crucified. This is what Jesus is talking about. His coming death and is going to be with the Father. But just before his death, he was placed on trial twice. And twice, he was declared to be innocent and even righteous. Pilate, the governor, having responsibilities in the Roman government to oversee the province in which this crucifixion was going to take place. The Jewish leaders brought Jesus to Pilate to be examined. Pilate's conclusion was this. Luke 23, 4. Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no guilt in this man. I find no guilt in this man. Later, he says, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you made against him. No, nor is Herod. For he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. So, Pilate, in anticipating the possibility of an appeal, sends Jesus to Herod. And Herod examines Jesus. And Jesus says, I find no, and Herod says, I find no fault in this man. The civil authorities said, Jesus is innocent. Jesus is righteous. The chief priests had been the unrighteous ones. They had hired people to lie concerning what Jesus had said, knowingly listening to false witness, having paid for false witnesses to lie about Jesus. They had paid Judas out of the temple treasury to betray Jesus. And so, they were unrighteous. But not only, not only were the Jewish leaders unrighteous, but the great multitude who had gathered together for the triumphal entry and the celebration of the Passover were unrighteous. Listen to this. Now at the feast, we're talking about the feast of the Passover. Jesus has now been found guiltless by Herod. Found guiltless by Pilate. But the Jewish leaders wanted him to be put to death. 
Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas, a notorious prisoner. The uh, Bonnie and Clyde of his day. Barabbas, a known felon. Barabbas, a doer of wicked deeds. Barabbas, a convicted individual. Barabbas, everyone knew that he was the scum of the earth. Barabbas. And when they were holding that time of the notorious prisoner called Barabbas, when therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus? The custom was that, that there would be an opportunity for a convicted individual to go free. Pilate says to the crowd, Who shall I set free? Barabbas or Jesus? For he, that is Pilate, knew because of envy they had delivered him up. So he knew what was motivating the Jewish leaders. So Pilate was going to one-up them. Pilate was going to go to the multitudes. Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. Pilate said, I'm going to go to the multitudes. The people who had heard Jesus. The people who had witnessed Jesus. The people who had cried Hosanna when he entered in the triumphal entry. I'm going to go to the crowds. I'm going to go to the masses. And I'm going to put up the worst criminal that I can find. And I'm going to put up Jesus. And I'm going to let them decide. Who do we want? Who should go free? How is justice going to be best served? What would be the right thing to do? Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd chants Barabbas. 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 Set Barabbas free. Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. They weren't interested in righteousness. They weren't interested in justice. These words. And while he, that is Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. And the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What shall I do to Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, what evil has he done? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting more and more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. 
And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Pilate says, I don't want anything to do with this. This is wrong. A secular governing authority said, This man is innocent. This man is not worthy of death. Barabbas is worthy of death. And you're choosing Barabbas over Jesus? I don't want anything to do with that. His blood be on your heads, Pilate says. And the crowd says, let his blood be on us and our children. We don't care. We don't care. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is given. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter stands up and begins to preach. Acts 2.22. Holy Spirit has just been given. The one that's promised. Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as yourselves know. Dan refers to these miracles that Jesus had done. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You did this at the hands of godless men. Verse 24. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. In John chapter 16, verse 10, it says that, that he is going, they're going to be convicted concerning righteousness because he goes to the Father. It's a reference to the resurrection. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is righteous. It's proof that he's accepted by God the Father. That God is pleased with his death, where God raises him from the dead. Acts 2.36 Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They were pierced to the heart when they heard these words. Here's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. They said we were wrong. And they ask a question in verse 37. Brethren, what should we do? What should we do? How can we make this right? We were wrong. We sinned. He was righteous. We were unrighteous. What can we do? And that day, 5,000 people were saved. That day, 5,000 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit brought conviction. Because the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to things that they had never really seen before. The Holy Spirit brought condemnation to their own conscience. They said, yes, we're guilty. It's true. He was righteous and we weren't. And they were convicted. 
we need to realize in our life that Jesus is righteous and we're not. The Bible is truth, and to reject it is to reject the truth. And so often it is, the reason we sin is not because we don't know better, it's because we aren't better. It's because we don't want to do what is right. It is a matter of righteousness. It is a matter of goodness. It's a matter of holiness. And we lack these things. We don't long after what is good. We don't delight in that which is pure. So many things stain our thinking, stain our actions. We are not righteous. Jesus is righteous. That's why we need a Savior. Because we are an unrighteous people. Have you ever gotten to that place in your life that you acknowledge your sinfulness? You acknowledge that you're not a righteous person? You are not holy? You are not perfect? Jesus is. Jesus is. We need to believe on Him. Then thirdly, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment. That is, that it is worthy of judgment. Verse 11 of John 16. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Jesus said in John chapter 12, speaking of the coming crucifixion, he said this. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I will be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was about to die. Jesus said, in my death, I'm going to be lifted up. He's going to be hanging upon a cross for all to see. And he said, in this event, I'm going to draw people to me. And in this event, the evil one is going to be judged. The evil one is going to be found to be false. The scripture says, that we're going to be convicted. That we will pronounce judgment upon ourselves through the work of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 23, you don't need to turn there. We have Jesus hanging on a cross. As he hangs upon a cross, he's between two malefactors, two evildoers, two criminals. Listen to the words of Luke 23. And one of the criminals who hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Mocking him. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Aren't you afraid? You're handing, you're here in judgment. You and I are hanging on this cross because we're guilty. And listen to these words. Luke 23, 41. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Two thieves hanging upon crosses next to Jesus. The one mocks and ridicules. And the other one says, what's wrong with you, man? We're about to die and enter the presence of God. We are about to be judged. We're guilty. He's not. 
And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Convict the world of judgment. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, For all of sin that come short of the glory of God. Do you know that personally? Have you owned up to that? Not just rationalized away bad decisions, wrongdoing, evil thoughts. Have you owned up to the fact that I'm a sinner, I've done wrong? Every one of us, without exception, that's true. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm guilty of sin. Jesus committed no sin. Jesus died so that I could go to heaven, so that my sins could be forgiven. Have we seen the justice in that? Have we seen the goodness in that? Have we marveled at the grace of God in that? Have we come to grips with, apart from Jesus Christ, I have no hope of eternal life because I'm a sinner. And you have to be perfect to be in the presence of God. But in Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. Has the Holy Spirit brought a sense of judgment to us? A right thinking about ourselves and who God is. Listen to these words of Luke 23. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. They cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. Now there was an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. It was about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sun being obscured, and the veil in the temple was torn in two. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. These words. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this was an innocent man. The centurion who stood by saw it all. Surely this was an innocent man. He was righteous. He was just. He didn't deserve to die. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about that conviction. Only the Holy Spirit can work and move in the heart of an individual to bring them to a place 
that honestly and fully acknowledges that Jesus is righteous, Jesus is holy, he didn't deserve to die. I did. He died in my place so that I can have eternal life. I ask you this morning, where are you in this understanding? Has the Holy Spirit opened your heart and mind to recognize these simple but yet tremendously profound truths? And they are these. First, sin. Sin. I have no excuse for it. Unbelief. I can't hide behind an intellectual misgiving. I need to be honest with myself. If I don't believe, it's willful. I'm hiding my head in the sand. I'm purposefully overlooking things that I can see. This morning, if you won't admit that you have committed sins, you're being dishonest with yourself. There's not a person here that can't look over their life and say, I have done wrong. It's not that we can't understand that. If we won't say it, it's because we willfully reject the truth. Righteousness. We have to admit that we are unrighteous and that Jesus was righteous. We do wrong. He did good. What accusation can we bring against Jesus? What fault can we find in the way that he lived? What problem can we see in the exercise of his authority? He did what nobody else could do. He taught us about the Father. He led us to place faith in the Father. He did good, no harm. Gave life, never took it. Promoted others, not himself. Eased other people's life in providing them food, wouldn't even provide food for himself. He's righteous, we're not. He lived his life in a way that we are unwilling to live. He loved and gave himself in ways that we are not willing to love and give ourselves. He's righteous. We're not. A place of condemnation. It would be just for us to pay for our sin. It was unjust for Jesus to die. He was innocent. We are not. And yet, God places the consequences of our sin upon Jesus if we simply but put our faith and trust in Him. So the application this morning is really easy. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you gotten to a place in your life that you will admit, I'm sinful. I need forgiveness. I am unrighteous. Jesus is righteous. I am guilty. Jesus is innocent. He died in my place. Do I accept the forgiveness that God the Father offers me in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said to his disciples, you're going to be my witness. But I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. The Holy Spirit will drive home the point. The Holy Spirit will work in the hearts and minds of people. 
This morning, if you place faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's because of the grace of God and the working of the Holy Spirit. We give Him praise and thanksgiving. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm going to invite you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you have never, ever asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, I invite you to do that this morning. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I know that you've made that decision. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to make it public at this time or any such thing. But I would love to know that you've made that decision. And at some point, would love to talk with you privately, or you can talk with Pastor Heller, or you can talk with Pastor Dave, or one of our elders, or whomever. But I leave you this simple thought. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? There is no valid reason not to. No valid reason not to. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. For that great work of redemption that He has done. In dying on the cross for the penalty of our sins. Because the wages of sin is death. Bearing in Himself the consequences of our sinfulness. He, being innocent, died in our place who are guilty. Lord, help us to see the righteousness of Jesus and the unrighteousness of ourselves. Help us to see judgment for what it really is. And may we make the right judgment. May we come to the right conclusions about ourselves and about Jesus Christ. May we see that apart from Christ, we are under condemnation. We are guilty. But through Jesus Christ, we can experience the forgiveness of sins. This morning, if there's anyone here this morning that wants to know that forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, quickly, would you raise your hand so I can see it? Just let me know that that you desire to be forgiven by God. Let me see that hand quickly. I'm not going to announce you publicly, but in a generic sense, I want to pray for you. Anyone at all this morning? All right. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for the great graces to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he has died so that we can experience forgiveness, acceptance with you, O God, and be with you forever and ever. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray for your Spirit's work among us. O Lord, continue to strive, continue to bring people to faith. Help us to recognize and see that you have called us to be witnesses. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing, for he alone can bring conviction. And so, O God, may you receive praise, honor, and glory for all that place their faith and trust in you. For it is a work that you have done from beginning to end. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.